0: I mean, how do we live among them and are surrounded by them? And yet try not to be overwhelmed or, or try to feel small while living for our Lord and upholding His doctrine. And what I want to focus on is kind of a somewhat of a spinoff to that idea. and it's taken from what we saw here in Hebrews 12:1, where it says that we are surrounded, by so great a cloud of witnesses. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because even though we might find ourselves surrounded by the world, we are also uh, comforted by the fact that we are surrounded by something that's even far greater than what this world has. We really are. And I think you'll see that at the end of our study this morning. So we're going to talk about this idea from the context here in chapter 12 and also going back to chapter 11 here for just a little while this morning. And so when you first of all take a look at this first verse and identifying this cloud of witnesses, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there's a key word here in order to determine what this cloud of witnesses is referring to. Who, are they, uh, who is this cloud that's being referred to here? And so, basic Bible interpretation would point you to a key word, and that's this word, therefore. And usually, when you see the word, therefore, it's there for a reason. What it does, it makes a connection to what is about to be said from what was just mentioned. And so, in that case, that is just the case here in this context of the book of Hebrews and in this particular case. So what I want to do, I want to go back to chapter 11 just for a moment. And so we kind of understand who this cloud of, uh, of witnesses is that we are surrounded by and kind of get get an idea of these people. And so you have chapter 11 of Hebrews. and We know that this chapter is, is labeled the, uh, the heroes of faith or the hall of faith. And we read about great people in this chapter. I mean, we, we read about people of faith like, like Noah, where he displayed his faith by building the ark over such a long amount of time. It took about 120 years to build the ark. But he was persistent, and his faith kept him going to build that ark. Not only that, but we are also, uh, it also mentions the faith of Abraham. And the Bible says there, In the context that that Abraham, he showed his faith by leaving his homeland to go to a different place. And he had no idea where he was going. God said, I want you to go to this place. And Abraham said, all right. He left everything behind and did that. And he showed his faith. And from that, uh, uh, from him and Sarah, Isaac, the child of promise, was born. And a great nation came about from that. You talk about the faith of Moses, that is mentioned here in chapter 11. To leave the easy life of an Egyptian and to join his true nation, the Israelites, and endure hardships for the rest of his life in the wilderness. That's faith. But what I want to do is begin reading here in verse number 32. Because you've got kind of a summary now of how people displayed their faith in various ways. Because it says, "And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who, through faith, what did they do? Well, they subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the uh, or flight the uh, armies of the aliens." Women received their dead, raised to life again. And so within this is just a whole slew of acts of faith. You have here Gideon, and you might know the story of Gideon to where even though Gideon, uh, he started out with a great number in this army, and God said, oh, you got too much. And it kept dwindling down to just 300 guys. And among those 300 guys, they were able to take the Midianites and the Amalekites by the tens of thousands, all because of the faith of this man of Gideon. Not only that, Barak, he led 10,000 men of Israel against the mighty foe of Sisera and his men, and they were victorious in their battle, according to what we see in Judges chapters 4 and 5. You have Samson that's mentioned here. Now, sometimes people question the life of Samson, thinking, how in the world is he mentioned here? Uh, in faith, but he is—he was a man of faith, and the writer, divinely inspired, penned his name here. But he displayed his faith in God toward the end of his life, and God used him to kill many of the Philistines. Yeah, Jephthah, and like Samson, he was far from perfect, but he showed his faith in the Lord through battles with the Ammonites and the Ephraimites. And then you got David, and so much can be said about the faith of David and his life. But one phrase really puts it into perspective that he was a man after God's own heart. And he displayed his faith in so many ways. And, it, and God gave him victories in his life. You got here Samuel. Samuel was a great prophet and he was the last judge of Israel. And he helped, he, he was very influential when, when the kings began to come in uh, to be established in the nation of Israel. He helped King Saul. He helped also King David. And uh, he provided spiritual guidance to them. And then he talked about here about them subduing kingdoms. And these men mentioned did just that due to their faith. They, these people worked righteousness. Uh, also says that they had obtained promises. A couple in perspective was that of, uh, of uh, the, the nation of Israel. Where they received the promise of the land of Canaan. You have also Abraham. Where he received the promise of this child, Isaac. Even though they were advanced in age, God still promised, or God still gave them a child, and so they lived by faith in anticipation that that would come. He also mentions that the, the stop the mouths of lions, and of course, our mind is taken to Daniel when Daniel was thrown into the den of lions there in Daniel chapter six, and how he was not harmed by those lions. Quench the violence of fire, and this happened when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into that fiery furnace, but they didn't die. Not even, not even the evidence of being around fire was, up, was on them. But because of their faith, God saved them from that fire. And then he mentions that they, some escaped the edge of the sword, talking about David, Elijah, Elisha in their lives. And also women received their dead, raised to life again. There are two examples of this in the Old Testament. You got that of uh, the son of Jericho's widow died, but due to her faith, Elijah raised her son from the dead. And you got the Shemamite son where they had passed away, yet due to her faith, Elisha raised him from the dead. And so I quickly went through all that and I want you to understand something that there were great victories because people had faith in God and God blessed these people. So they died in faith. But I want you to understand something as we continue reading, the tone changes. Yes, we're still talking about people of faith, but not every time that people had faith. Not every time they had victories. Sometimes it was very difficult for people because of their faith. Look here as we continue on to verse number 35. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. They might obtain a better resurrection. Still, others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And so, when the Bible mentions that some were tortured, not accepting deliverance, this word tortured, it's an interesting word. It actually means stretch. And although we don't find examples in the Scriptures where the disciples of the Lord were tortured in this way, we do know that it happened because the writer divinely inspired, wrote these things about how people in former times have shown their faith in the Lord. And it's amazing to me with this phrase, not accepting deliverance. And that tells me that they had a way out. They had a way to denounce their faith and to escape that type of torture. But they chose not to. They'd rather be tortured and have their faith in the Lord than to deny him. That's a person of faith. Trials of mocking, scourging, chains, imprisonment. An example of this was Samson who was mocked before the Philistines after he had been captured, after he had been in prison. <coughs> Some were stoned is what it says and this was a common way of punishment among the Jews that there is, there's really no telling how many of them were stoned due to their faith. One thing that sticks out to me, they were sawn in two here in verse number 37. That's horrible. And most scholars agree this is what happened to Isaiah due to the evil king Manasseh around that time. He was the king of Judah for some time. In fact, historically speaking, Manasseh tried all of his might to kill all the prophets of the Lord. And that man was just plain wicked in what he did to try to get rid of the prophets of the Lord so there was much death because of that man. There were others who were slain by the sword. Some prophets were killed by the sword. In fact, Uriah was one of them. Elijah mentioned other prophets who had died by the sword. In fact, Elijah was even worried himself that he was going to be the next one. In fact, he wanted to just give up and call it quits because of the pressure. Others wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. One particular account that this happened was with the prophet Elijah. He was driven away from his home due to his faith in the Lord. And basically he was an outcast to everyone that was around him since, since those who were around him that he was surrounded by rejected the Lord. There was no safe place for the prophet Elijah. And then it says, of whom the word was not worthy. And the the phrase stands out to me in the midst of of a contrast that is shown through these individuals of faith and the opposition that surrounded them. Because even though they lived on the earth and among these people, what they did is that they showed and they lived their way showing this world was not their home. They were looking for a better place, a homeland, after this life is over. And they lived their lives in faith. Even though these bad things happened to them, they still had faith in God that it was going to be worth it in the end. And so we see a sad and tragic outcome for some of these people who show their faith in the midst of being surrounded by the enemy. But I want you to know something from what we've seen this morning. Yes, yes. We're going to have victories because of our faith. And we're going to have times where really all is right in the world. And we're going to have times where we feel great about walking with the Lord. But really the harsh reality is that not everything is just blue skies and sunshine. And I say that because I want all of us, I want you and I, to be ready for times like that. And to be aware that times will come. Times have come in our lives, haven't they? Where it's been hard. It's been hard, and it tests our faith. I mean, it's tough to read about what we just read about how these heroes of faith suffered and how they were rejected and how they were tormented. And they died because they were surrounded by people who did not appreciate the Lord and did not appreciate His commands and His way. And you're going to encounter people who will not appreciate the Lord or appreciate the Scriptures at face value And you know what? You're going to be the one who's going to be ridiculed because of that. You're going to receive um, uh, pretty much the bad end of the deal because of that. And it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's their view of God. And it's their view of the Scriptures. And we, and they take it out on us because of that. We're going to be mocked. We're going to be looked down upon. We're going to be looked at as closed-minded individuals who are not accepting or tolerant with things that are happening in this society and the changes in this society, and people are going to question why we're so, so closed-minded and don't consider everyone who has accepted Jesus in their heart to be in the Lord's church. And I want you to be aware of this, not because uh, I want you to be scared and try to avoid these types of people, but I want you to be ready for it. And equip yourself for it. And be grounded in the scriptures for when these times come. Because when we are equipped with God's word, that's what gives us the strength to combat those who surround us. And so our faith from that will build. And we'll be encouraged. And we'll be able to be bold and display our faith no matter who's watching or who might try to bring us down, or whatever the opposition might be. But let me ask you this, what if we are ridiculed? I mean, what if we are mocked? What if we don't win the argument? Does that mean that we just give up? We just stop trying because we're thinking, oh man, I don't want to go through that again. Absolutely not. Because what we do is that we learn from those encounters, don't we? And I believe that we actually should have the same attitude that the apostles had at the end of Acts chapter 5. And I love the example that we see with those apostles at the end of chapter 5 because those those apostles were threatened. Don't ever preach Jesus Christ around here again and go off on your way and we don't want to hear about you guys teaching about the, about Christ being the Messiah and being the son of God. They were beaten. They're mocked. And when you read those words at the end of Acts chapter 5 and their reaction to that, do we read where they just said, well, we don't want to go through those beatings again, so we better just kind of lay low, be quiet about it? No. But they went out their way rejoicing. And we find later on as we read throughout the book of Acts and also the, the following letters, that they kept on preaching Christ. But you know why they went on their way rejoicing? Because the scripture says that they were were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. They had the correct perspective. And even though they were threatened, it did not waver. Their faith did not waver because of any of that. But you know what? There's another reason why being ridiculed should not stop us in our faith with the lord and it's because of what we see again uh actually at the end of of this chapter here it says and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise god provided something better for us that they should not that they should not be made perfect apart from us and so when it's talking about them receiving this promise I mean, yes, we, we know that the Israelites, they, they inherited the land of Canaan, and to, it took a little longer because of their disobedience, but they finally received that promise. God was faithful to that promise, wasn't he? And so they received it. And when you think about Abraham, yes, Abraham received the promise from God by receiving a son in whom all nations would be blessed. But the promise that's mentioned here is not talking about those things. You know what the promise that is mentioned here it's the promise of the Messiah. The promise of Jesus Christ coming to this world and saving us from our sins. And so they didn't receive that promise because they never saw the Messiah in their lifetime. But we have, haven't we? I mean, not in our lifetime, but we read about Him in the scriptures. And we know he came. And we read about the scriptures. And we read about the great thing that he did. How he provided salvation to all of us. How we can have a new life. How we can have hope. How we can inherit heaven. Those are great things. And so we have this advantage. And so we that's reason enough to keep our faith strong in him. And so all of us now brings brings us back to chapter 12. Again where it says that we are surrounded by this great uh, by so great a cloud of witnesses. And again, I ask, what are these, what's this cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded by? We're talking about all those in chapter 11 who lived their lives in faith. But not just those people, but others who are not mentioned here who have lived their lives of faith as well. You've got family members who have lived lives of faith and have died in faith Will be included in this cloud of witnesses. We've had past members of this congregation and also the Brundage Lane congregation that have passed on, but yet because of their faith in the Lord they are part of this cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by to encourage us to keep on going and to hold faith, to hold our, our faith strong. And so the writer likens our lives of faith now to a race. And keeping this in mind, with being surrounded, he talks about now. He says, "Lay every, lay, uh, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us." And so we we're in a race, and those of us who are faithful. Uh, those who are faithful, who have gone before, are surrounded us and cheering us on, if you will, to run and finish this race in this life. Now, I didn't see it this year, but with the Summer Olympics that were here, we, we love watching the Olympics at home. So it, the great stories that come from it, the great competition that comes from it too. But I didn't see it this year, but the previous Summer Olympics, I, I saw something that really stuck out to me, and it was, it was the end of the men's marathon, and uh, the uh, the man where they were run through the streets of the city, and then the last leg of that marathon, what the, how it ended is that they would enter the stadium, and they would make one circle around that track and then finish the race. And I'll never forget. I don't know who it was, what nation he was representing, but he entered that stadium. And that stadium was just, it was full of people. And as soon as he entered that stadium, there was an eruption cheering that man on. And the look on that man's face was just priceless because he knew he was at the end. And he saw all those people and all the cheers. And it carried him around that track and everyone else who came in. And in this perspective, being surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, I can see the same thing in the spiritual sense. And loved ones who have gone on before us. And seeing them. And seeing them cheer us on. I can picture Grandma Pat, Grandma DeGoff, Grandpa Osborne, cheering us on. So we finish. Finish our race. You know Why? Because it's worth it. It's worth it. What a great cloud we are surrounded by. These people of faith. There's something that we have to do as we race. It says here that we have to get rid of the weight and That weight is sin, or anything else that might lead us. Uh, that might lead to sin. And trying to run with that weight is not productive. At any time, it's going to weigh us down. And really, our rate, our the weight, or the race, is going to be burdensome, and it's going to be even more difficult. And I like, I like what David wrote in regards to this. The one hundred nineteenth psalm, verse number thirty-seven. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. And revive me in your way. And I like that. I like that perspective that David writes. Because David knew where his focus should be and where it needed to stay away from. Anything that is not helping us run the race is worthless and is not needed in our life. And instead of looking at those things, we as David look for, we look towards the Lord and we seek the ways of the Lord. And see what it is that can help us spiritually to carry on in our race in this life. And there's something else about this race that's mentioned here in, uh, in, in verse number one, and that we know, he says, it's an endurance race. And uh, it's not a full-on sprint, nor is it one where we just kind of poke along either. It's a race that we just keep a steady pace. And our faith can be hot, cold, and then hot, cold, but we keep it as steady and as strong as possible. But I want you to notice something as we look here now, verses 2 and 3, about our race as we run in this life. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary, and discouraged in your souls. And so, really, to me, it's, it's, it's a bit ironic, if you will, because, yes, we have the cloud of witnesses surrounding us, an example of how to run this race, and, yes, it provides us encouragement to run well, but you know what? They are not our main focus. The writer here says, Jesus should be our main focus through this race. Why? Well, he gives reason why here in this context is because he's the author and the finisher. In other words, he's the first and last example of our faith, of faith in God. So how is he an example? Well, he talks about that. He despises shame that the cross brought Yet He willingly died on it anyway because He knew what joy would ultimately come from it. He knew that we would be saved by His death on the cross. And He was willing to pay the cost for the ultimate benefit of me, for the ultimate benefit of you, and for all mankind. And we have to determine to pay the cost no matter what the benefit of the Lord, for the benefit of the Lord and for His glory. And if we have any doubts or if we ever become discouraged and need encouragement in this life, verse number three says to consider Jesus. I mean, when you consider Jesus and consider the life that he lived, there was lots of opposition that he ran into. You talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, and those people were trying all their might to try some some scheme to try to get Jesus out of the picture. Or maybe try to to, uh, discredit him for what he said or what he did in his ministry. All kinds of opposition. And I love when I read of all the opposition that Jesus dealt with every single time he shut him down. And there was nothing that they could could say to him. Every time he shut him down. And I love that. And I love to see that picture of Jesus, and that gives us greater faith that even though there might be opposition, our faith could still be strong too. Don't let it waver. No matter what a person might say to you, no matter what they might try to do, no matter what it is, do not let it waver due to the opposition. Now, when this race is over, We know there's going to be a prize for us. It's not going to be a gold medal. It's going to be something far greater than a gold medal. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you know what we're going to receive? A crown of righteousness. A crown of righteousness. To me, that's something to look forward to. But there are so many other blessings that I look forward to as well. Which just reaching the end and finishing my, my race for the Lord. I mean, consider being with, with Jesus and God and, and with the angels and being able to hear the singing and, and just the worship and the fellowship. And being able to, in my opinion, just ask questions that I have. Maybe sitting down talking with Moses. Oh, other great heroes of faith that we read in the scriptures. So many things to look forward to. So our faith shall not waver. And I want to tell you, it's going to be worth every effort that we put into our race for the Lord. Even considering those who have gone before, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, they're cheering us on to finish.